Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now, here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We're now in our third season and more excited than ever to continue to help you explore and understand the unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here, we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung, heart issues, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show on waste, looking specifically at the environmental effects of our consumption-based culture and its waste generation. So what is consumerism and waste production? Consumerism is related to the constant purchasing of new goods, as we are all aware this time of year, with little attention to their true need, durability, product origin, or the environmental consequences of their manufacture and disposal. In addition to the obvious social and economic problems, consumerism is destroying our environment. As the demand for goods increases, the need to produce these goods also increases. And this leads to more pollutant emissions, increased land use and deforestation, and accelerated climate change. In fact, the one thing that we reliably produce as a country and produce more than any other nation in the world per capita is garbage or waste. Americans make up just 4% of the world's population, but we account for approximately 12% of the planet's yearly waste. Annually, according to the EPA, we landfill 840,000 tons of plastic plates and cups, 3.4 million tons of diapers, 8.2 million tons of clothing and footwear, and 910 tons of towels, sheets, and pillowcases. While most of our garbage ends up in landfills, almost half of it is recycled or burned to generate energy. A growing amount of food waste is composted or sent to anaerobic digesters to make fertilizer and natural gas. And again, according to the EPA, the disposal of waste to landfills has increased from 94% of the amount generated in 1960 to under 53% of the amount generated in 2015. As landfills have gotten more expensive, the cost of treating garbage has become competitive with simply dumping it in a hole in the ground. And we can expect this trend to become even more pronounced in the near future as land prices go up, as minerals become more expensive, and as the developing world develops more. And although American consumption and waste remain quite high, our patterns of consumption are beginning to change. The amount of waste we produce in America per capita 
grew from 2.68 pounds per person per day in 1960 to almost five pounds per person per day in 2000. But the good news is that it has been declining since then. The nature of our consumption and the treatment of our waste has been changing throughout the 21st century. We have all bought an item because it was cheap, then ended up never really using it. There's probably for most of us a kitchen gadget for absolutely everything, no matter how infrequently it's actually needed. And we don't often think of what we already own when we're purchasing and whether we actually need another one of those gadgets that we're purchasing. The way we buy our houses or cars, though, tends to be more carefully considered, although conspicuous consumption does come into play. The more we spend, the more we think about its long-term use and value in the future. Buy the cheapest, and you will most likely have a bad experience. Spend more in the long run, and crucially, create more waste than is necessary. This is not true of everything, as we all have that charity or thrift shop piece that we treasure that cost us hardly anything. But this is where second and third life products come into play. Resources are finite and our demand to consume for the sake of consumption is driving inequality as well as environmental destruction across the entire globe. After food agriculture, clothing, that is cotton, is the second most polluting farmed material on the planet. One estimate is that in 2012, a third of all clothing bought ended up in landfills with around 350,000 tons of material disposed of in this manner, then it's estimated that if that material was donated for reuse or recycling, it could generate up to $140 million in revenue. It appears that we are simply a truly wasteful species. So how does consumerism affect the quality of life on our planet? Consumerism's effect on society One way that it's really detrimental is global inequality. The huge rise in resource consumption in wealthier countries like the U.S. has led to an ever-widening gap between rich and poor. And as the age-old saying goes, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Using data from 2005, it appears that 59% of world resources were consumed by the wealthiest 10% of the population. Conversely, the poorest 10% accounted for just 0.5% of our resources utilization. And so the effects of consumerism on individuals is also detrimental. The main effect is obesity. Research shows a close link between the rise of the modern culture of consumerism and the worrying rates of obesity we're seeing around the world. However, this should come as no surprise, since consumerism implies exactly that, using as much as we can rather than as much as we need. And this causes a domino effect on problems in our society. Overconsuming leads to obesity, which in turn leads to further and further cultural and social problems. The effects of consumerism on the environment are primarily pollution and depletion of our scarce and finite resources. As the demand for goods increases, 
the need to produce these goods also increases. And this leads to more pollutant emissions. It leads to increased land use and deforestation and to accelerated climate change. Now, this is a lot. So here today, to help us unpack and understand some of this some more, are two experts who we think will make us smarter as it relates to all of this. We have Brian Rowe with Ohio State University and Melissa Prescott with the University of Illinois. Brian Rowe, PhD, is the Van Buren Professor in the Department of Agricultural, Environmental, and Development Economics at Ohio State University. Brian helped form and currently leads the Ohio State Food Waste Collaborative, and he co-directs a national research network focused on addressing wasted food that is funded by the National Science Foundation. Prior to his employment at Ohio State, Brian worked on policy issues surrounding food safety and health information disclosure at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in Washington, D.C. Brian's other research includes participation in an NSF-funded multidisciplinary team seeking to understand human ecosystem feedbacks in the Western Lake Erie Basin, including understanding how farms and agribusinesses responded to voluntary environmental programs, as well as how Ohio residents respond to different options to manage Lake Erie water quality. Welcome, Brian. Did I get all of that right? Thank you, Bernice. Yes. Okay. And our other guest is Melissa Prescott. Dr. Melissa Prescott is at the University of Illinois at Urbana, and she investigates strategies to maximize healthy food behaviors while minimizing the negative impact of the food system on the environment. Her lab researches the application of policy, systems, and environmental approaches to promote diet quality and environmental stewardship. Melissa has a PhD in public health from New York University, and she is the author and co-author of numerous articles around food, sustainability, and health. Welcome, Melissa. And did I get all of that right? Yes, thank you. Yes, you did. Thank you. And again, thank both of you all so much for taking time to be with us today. And we are really looking forward to you all helping us. I'm going to start with you, Brian. What are the largest contributors to waste? Sure. If you look in a typical landfill, in the United States, you'll see in that landfill about a quarter of it is actually food, followed next by plastics, which comes in just under 20%. And then you've got a potpourri of other things ranging from textiles, rubber and leather, like you had mentioned, um, still a fair amount of paper and paperboard, about 12%. You'll have about 10% metals, 8% uh, wood, 5% glass. Uh, even yard trimmings are still going into landfills, about 7%. So uh, just a, like I said, a potpourri of things that still end up in our landfills. Give me the top three once more and then we'll go to break. Food, plastics, and paper. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you so much. And we'll connect with that again, looking at those top three waste landfill items when we get back from break. And we want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority in the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. 
print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more, with, we're told, the best Christmas trees in Texas. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body and non-mercury. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Rural Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. We are back with Brian Rowe with The Ohio State University and Melissa Prescott with the University of Illinois at Urbina. And again, we thank you both for your patience with us and being with us today. Right before the break, Brian was telling us about the largest contributors of waste. And he gave us a rundown of all of those. But I recall, tell me if I'm right, the top three were food, plastics, And the third was paper, which was kind of surprising to me. Food, plastic, and paper. Again, the largest contributors to waste. Let me ask you this, though, Brian. Has that trend changed? One of the things I recall from what we just talked about in our intro is that consumerism is changing. So how has that change of what the top contributors to our waste landfills are, how has that changed over recent history? Well, uh, the mix of those um, has changed a little bit, but there has been an increase, obviously, in recycling over the decades. That's the big change over time. Whereas, you know, pre-1980, there was probably less than 10% of items that were being recycled. Some of those key items that are being recycled during that huge uh, change in recycling behavior that kind of went from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. We saw that huge jump from about a 10% recycling rate up to a uh, 55% recycling rate come 1995. And then we've had a kind of a plateau where we've gotten up to um, um, a little bit higher than that for key elements. Um, uh, But it's kind of plateaued there in in the 2000s for some of those key elements. And I should say there the... um, Recycling rates didn't get up to the 60. I'm sorry, to the about to the uh, 30% rate uh, in the in the 2000s, and we've actually seen some backsliding in the past few years as recycling markets have hit a snag and some of the items um, have been become uh, less uh, marketable in terms of uh, post-recycling capture. That tells me what you just said that to a great degree, recycling is driven by economics. Sure. Uh, if there's a high value for items to be captured, of uh, those items captured from recycling, um, <clears throat> there's going to be a lot more uh, pressure at uh, the municipality level and at the waste handler level to make sure that those items are getting into those streams, correct? Indeed. But I think I hear you also saying the number one item of waste, so is food. Yes. Um, and there has been some improvement in uh, food waste recycling over the past few years. 
the numbers are not quite as solid in terms of the tracking of that. EPA has really upped their game in the past few years in terms of tracking those numbers. Um, and in fact, we see a big change happening right now in California with uh, Senate Bill 1383 is coming on board um, with its enforcement starting in January 1 in California, where recycling of food products, uh, composting, is going to become mandatory um, across that state starting January 1 of 2022. Indeed. I'm going to come back to food and the fact that most of our waste is food, which is just totally ironic. And I want to go back a minute to talk more about consumerism and consumption culture. It started with food. That was the first thing that we all had to some degree in abundance, and then it filters down to other things. So what exactly is, in your opinion, consumerism and the consumption culture? Yeah, I mean, the origins of this movement uh, trace back to um, uh, uh, turn of the 1900s. Um, uh, Thorsten Veblen was uh, an economist who wrote about the uh, uh, the conspicuous consumption that he saw was plaguing market economies of that era. And um, through the world wars and post-world wars, um, uh, the ability to create products cheaply and in mass consumption um, really took off. And um, consumer society really ramped up over those era as we were able to produce more. And that production was a large part of the economy and westernized countries, including the United States. And so, um, you know, buying for the sake of buying and using that as a means of, of um, uh, improving our lives and our image of ourselves was quite critical during that era and has become an embedded part of culture now. It appears that from what you're saying and some of the research I've done, and again, this is a broad swath, but in general, as a society, I guess as people, the more something we have, or the easier it is to get, the more we consume it. Sure. There's a price response, of course. And <laughs> if uh, items become cheaper, we are, we are more able to purchase that. And then the feedback loop happens throughout society. That, that's the baseline of which we expect that we should be able to sustain. And so we want to kind of level up to our neighbors, keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. But that's the first part of the statement. The second part of the statement is, then with all of that, the more that we consume, then the more waste is generated. Correct, because things don't last forever, and um, sometimes they're even designed not to, right? <laughs> well, it seems as though the more we're able to consume, the more disposable it is. And the more disposable anything is, the more waste that's generated. Yeah, I think that seems logically connected, correct. Okay. With food at the top of that apex, and that's just kind of mind-boggling given all that we know, all that we see daily on TV and hear about hunger. Yes. Uh, part of the irony of the uh, food waste movement is that um, uh, there is severe uh, food insecurity in the United States and, of course, globally. And yet about uh, a third, um, some even say a 40 percent of food uh, never reaches its final intended use, which is to be consumed, to be eaten. Indeed. So, Melissa, help us understand this a little bit more. How exactly do you describe food waste? And then how does food waste intersect with other types or other aspects of waste in our society? I just feel it just seems to be all interconnected in some way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, 
Um, the, the definition for food waste has actually recently been updated to be any food leaving the human supply chain. And so um, that would mean anything that's going to landfill, combustion, sewer, composting, which that might surprise people that we, we do now consider um, any food that um, is composted as waste um, or any other kind of land application. I want to delve a little bit more into what you said. And mm -hmm. that's just the scraps that as I had breakfast and I left some things on the plate and I just scraped it into the garbage can or in some of it into the garbage disposal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that would be considered waste. And so, you know, I personally am really excited about this change in the definition because, um, you know, a lot of people don't consider compost as waste, but it is really not an efficient use of our natural resources to, you know, overbuy, overprepare, um, and discard that what's left as compost. So it would be much better for us to better forecast what we need, you know, buy less so that, um, you know, you're saving that food on the shelves for someone else to purchase or, you know, to donate it to hungry people or what have you instead of having it end up in your compost bin. Talk to us a little bit, though, too, Melissa, about how we got here, because I have to tell you my experiences from watching TV and reading about the pilgrims, but it's not my sense that they threw away a lot of food. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm a registered dietitian. So part of my job is to try and understand people, uh, different cultures um, view of food. And so you're, you're right that this this it, it, I think it does stem all the way back to that time where, you know, the native people of this land, they were, they didn't waste anything, you know, every, any animal that they killed to eat or any plant or any plant that they, that they, you know, used, um, they found uses for all of it. And that's a very big departure from the way we view food in modern society. And, um, yeah, you know, there's an overabundance of food. So, um, so I should say food is readily available in the United States. And so because of that, you know, people don't view it as, as a resource as they should. They don't, they don't consider the true value of that food and it makes it quite easy to throw it away or to overeat. And, you know, we obviously have a huge problem with obesity and other chronic diseases in this country. And these are really related issues. Indeed. And so, Melissa, my second question, which I asked a long time ago, so I'm going to re-ask it, <laughs> is how does food waste intersect with other types or aspects or other aspects of waste in our society? Well, you know, I think the type of waste um, that food waste is most related to would be packaging waste. Um, you know, in it's very, uh, in the United States, particularly, we eat a lot of processed food and processed food tends to have a lot of food packaging. Um, and I know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends and, and um, students who are really concerned with packaging waste, but actually some packaging waste is, is necessary because the food is so valuable and we need to package it correctly so it doesn't become wasted along the supply chain. But I think that just I would say that packaging waste would be the most related to food waste. We just have one minute to go, so I'm going to ask you, Brian, too, if you might weigh in on any intersections you see or feel that food waste has with other aspects of waste in our society. Sure. I think um, impulse purchasing is um, one thing that leads to waste in all domains, and I think that's relevant for food as well, where we identify items uh, spur of the moment that we'd like to try. 
um, maybe we heard about a recipe and decide we'll um, buy that or put that into our online shopping cart to give it a try. And then it becomes a, a kind of a cabinet castaway. It stays there for a long period of time and then it loses its um, freshness and its desirability and then never gets used in that recipe and then can get wasted just like uh, we might do with fashion or a consumer good. So I think that's all bundled together in this kind of quick responsiveness to um, new ideas and stimuli that are we are bombarded with perpetually as consumers. Indeed, and we're going to go to break here. But when we come back after break, I do want to touch upon, because I've read a lot about clothing, and I see some similarities between quick clothing and waste and quick food and waste. So we're going to go to break now, and we'll be right back on the other side with Dr. Melissa Prescott, at the University of Illinois at Urbana, and Dr. Brian Rowe at The Ohio State University. Thank you all. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on waste and the environmental effects of our consumption-based culture and its waste generation. And we are back with Dr. Melissa Prescott at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and Dr. Brian Rowe from The Ohio State University. Again, thank you all for being with us today. Right before the break, we were talking about food waste and some of its effects. And what I want to bring in now for a moment is to talk a little bit about what our research shows is a, is an ever-growing problem where there seems to be some similarities, and that is the rise, like we have the rise of our fast food and processed food culture. We've had a rise of our maybe fast clothing culture, cheap clothing culture, and there seem to be some similarities in the systems and processes, but certainly similarities in terms of how it seems to be generating to our waste culture and waste generation. Brian, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. I think fast fashion has been on the rise over the past uh, decade or so, um, where there's a churn in styles and approaches and people wanting to be able to respond immediately. For food, I don't think it's quite that um, straightforward. There are go-to favorites, and sure, there is the, always the new flavors being tried. So I, I think there is some uh, general similarity in kind of uh, the having our wants responded to very quickly by industry. But I think for food, some of the issues are just more fundamental, um, more of a need for convenience, <clears throat> where I don't think that's quite the case in fashion. Um, so um, the opportunity to um, change plans at the last second, and so being able to respond in a very timely fashion. So we may have purchased um, groceries for the week, perishable items that would have uh, been for that Thursday night meal. We chose it on Sunday, but then change of plans. We wanted to go out on Thursday night, and perhaps that chicken that we bought for Thursday night is not going to last until the weekend or the next week because of its perishability. So there's a common thread in wanting to have that kind of instantaneous flexibility and a new style. But I think some of the issues driving it are obviously fundamentally different. Yeah, because with clothing, I think all of us know that we will keep longer and 
re-wear more often an outfit that costs $100 or $200 than we will an outfit that costs $20, dollars $50. In fact, I heard, I read someplace that the average number of times that some of our clothing is worn is like three or four or five times. And so again, there's a direct parallel with cost with the clothing. And with food, though, I wonder if there's a cost parallel, say, with the process, the fast food. Do we see anything in that area? Well, I think um, for items that we bring home, I think we're probably a bit more cautious with our proteins, our high-valued items that we um, put into our refrigerators to make sure that we use those up versus our produce, um, uh, which even though expensive is perhaps not quite as salient to most consumers, and so that may languish and lose its freshness, and we might not know how to deal with that very quickly. Takeout food, um, oftentimes it's very difficult for us to be able to get the uh, leftovers from a restaurant home in, uh, in a safe and quick fashion, and then um, find it very appealing uh, the next day or two <laughs> once it's been in the refrigerator and it's styrofoam container from the uh, takeout place. Um, and so that just doesn't travel well necessarily and doesn't uh, get into our priority for eating over the over the next week. But we'd throw out those french fries a lot quicker uh, <laughs> than perhaps the, uh, the chicken or the steak. Indeed. Yeah. Melissa, you wanted to weigh in on that? Yeah, I think some of the similarities have to do with how convenient it is to get both food and clothes that are made maybe, you know, on the other side of the world at your doorstep, um, you know, very quickly. And so, it makes it, it's, it's just terribly convenient to just overbuy, overpurchase, and then, you know, on the food side of things, overeat. And so I think it's like this global marketplace that just makes it at the click, you know, super convenient to, to over, overdo it on both sides for, the, for fashion as well as food. Indeed. And so, Melissa, how is food waste affecting climate change, what is the intersection there? Oh, without a doubt, food waste is exacerbating climate change. You know, whenever something, whenever a food item is thrown away, all of the resources that went into making that food is squandered, are squandered. So whether that's all the, you know, the carbon footprint that went into the entire process of that food, particularly foods that um, are refrigerated and have to be, you know, transported in refrigerated, you know, vehicles or planes, trucks, whatever. Um, and, um all of that's thrown away. And so the land that, that people, that we, we use to grow it, which could have been done, used for other things, including um, being restored for natural habitats for, you know, the plants and animals that um, are losing out whenever we are cutting down forests to, to, for croplands or to, for animals, um, animal growth, uh, raising animals. So, I mean, it's definitely, um, related. And then on the landfill side of things, um, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions that are emitted when food is landfilled is um, far greater than what it would happen if that food were consumed. I mean, there are some advances in terms of, you know, um, trapping that gas and using it for, you know, a source of renewable energy, but um, that doesn't happen all the time. So, you know, in so many different ways, you know, wasted food is really exacerbating climate change. 
Indeed. And so, Brian, I want to talk a little bit more about landfills. I know last year when we did our waste series, we had a whole section on landfills, and it was very eye-opening. So I want to dig into this just a little bit, though, in terms of waste, connecting back with something that Melissa just mentioned. In the landfill, I know that you have the linings and things like that, but in the landfill, are you not necessarily supposed to have food in a landfill, are you, or are you not? No, it's a, it's a, obviously it's 24% of landfills, so uh, there's no uh, prohibition about putting that in there. Certain states, however, have implemented um, no organics in landfills, and this has been the California initiative, their mm-hmm. Senate Bill 1383, which is moving to remove organic materials, including food, from landfills because of these detrimental environmental issues, and then the strong signal that sends down the rest of the food supply chain to stop wasting food. What, um, what, what is caused by, what is the, what is the detriment of, of uh, food in landfills? Yeah, Melissa had it spot on. <clears throat> it creates uh, methane, which is one of the most potent and immediate acting of the greenhouse gases, as well as runoff from landfills. Um, the, le- the leachate, I remember that from previous yeah. shows, yeah. So not only air emissions, but water emissions. And then just space and coastal areas and uh, um, and certain parts of the country, there's just not a lot of space for landfills. So if you've got a quarter of that space taken up uh, because of food, who, what municipality wouldn't like to be able to put off trying to site a new landfill for another uh, decade because they no longer have to put food into that landfill? I think that would be a very popular proposition to uh, not have more landfills in most municipalities. However, very few are willing to um, uh, take those necessary steps to discourage um, uh, entry of product into those landfills. Indeed. And last thing, we just have one minute to go before the break, and that is, are there any other streams of waste for which there might be similar things happening or similar opportunities other than just food? I think all those organic materials uh, work well together. So the yard trimmings, uh, some of the paperboard um, items that um, uh, might not be recyclable might be compostable as well. So um, all of those may work together in terms of developing a, a very robust organic stream that can be recovered and reused in, um, in, a, in an organic way. What about those plastics? I remember you said food was one, plastics was two, and paper was three. Yeah. Uh, plastics is its own beast uh, in terms of being able to find uses for plastics after the fact and is really uh, intricately related to uh, international markets for those products, which go up and down. So it's a bit more volatile. Indeed. And we're going to go to break. And last month, we talked about plastic pollution. And it looks like the other dumping place for plastic, of course, is in our oceans and our waterways. So if it's not in the landfills, it's in the ocean and waterways. We'll be right back on the other side of the break to continue this very interesting conversation with Melissa Prescott from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and Brian Rowe with The Ohio State University. Thank you all. And we want to give a shout out to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas Communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all Whole Foods markets, natural grocers, central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. 
Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more, and we're told with the best Christmas trees in Texas. And our other sponsors, Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, to today's show on waste and waste generation, specifically looking at environmental effects of our consumer-based culture and its waste generation. And we are back with Dr. Melissa Prescott from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and Dr. Brian Rowe with The Ohio State University. Again, thank you all for being with us today. Now, I want to start back here, Brian, by you talking about helping us to understand the magnitude of the impact waste has on local and global scale, and if you can help us understand any of the economics. Yeah. So, if you get down to kind of dollars and cents at the household level, uh, one estimate is in the United States, anywhere from about $1,300 to $2,300 per year is spent on food uh, that's never eaten for a typical household of four. So that's a good chunk of change um, that is basically being spent uh, for the honor of purchasing food that then gets placed into a landfill. So uh, and I'm sure many people can think of better things to do with uh, $1,300 a year than to buy food to uh, uh, put into a landfill. And then that works its way all the way through the system. Um, typically, there's about 30 million acres of cropland each year that's dedicated merely to, purchase, to uh, producing food that's put into a, a landfill as well. And so if you suddenly had 30 million acres of cropland uh, available for something else, that would have major effects in terms of local land rental markets in, 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 uh, in the farm sector. Well, indeed, um, just 30 million acres of land put back into use could produce more housing, generating more supply, it would meet some of the demand, and maybe our housing costs wouldn't be so much. Exactly. And all the inputs there, pesticides, fertilizers, irrigation water, all that is just ending up being transported to a landfill. Um, and if those uh, items were released back to the marketplace, um, you know, prices would go down for those items. And the same thing with the $1,300 per family per year. I think if people realize that, and maybe the problem is it happens in such small increments. Well, the issue is that every time you throw that uh, chicken <laughs> that you didn't get around to using into the garbage can, um, you don't have the same uh, dollar signs pop out of the garbage can that you would have at the checkout counter. If that would happen, if we had some type of a way to trace that and see, oh, you're throwing away uh, $12 into the garbage can because you uh, weren't able to figure out how to use that chicken before it went bad, perhaps it would be more salient and perhaps consumers would receive that feedback and be able to change uh, their patterns more rapidly. Indeed. Thank you. And Melissa, what would you say are some of the unknown positive solutions to food waste uh, that our listeners may not be aware of? 
Yeah, I think one of the most important things and positive things that one can do would be to try to cook more. Um, I think that, um, it, and I, I would put the emphasis on more spontaneous cooking and less on recipe uh, cooking because recipes you tend to make you go out and buy a bunch more ingredients and that's what we're trying to get away from. And so um, having people make the effort to experiment in their kitchen with the things that they have left over, maybe do their own kind of like household chopped kind of scenario where you kind of challenge yourself to see what you can do with the ingredients you have on hand and trying to think about what um, like pantry items that you can keep in your pantry to help kind of accommodate that kind of spontaneous cooking. Um, and so, you know, that's a win-win for both the waste as well as uh, for a public health perspective, because we know that processed food consumption is linked to a lot of undesirable health outcomes. And so, um, you know, the opposite of, of processed food consumption would be cooking your own food. And so I think that's um, one of the big things, you know, we need to reimagine leftovers. I, we, a lot of Americans do not like to eat leftovers, but if we can challenge ourselves to see what we can, what kind of creativity and um, thought we can put into leftovers, I think that it would make a big dent in the, um, in this issue. Go ahead, well, Brian. That's a great point. In, in Canada, they just did an intervention where they kind of gave people those skills to do exactly what you said, to have a leftover night each week. And they found that that helps reduce food waste in those households by about 30%. So um, just small steps to be able to do things like that can be really effective. Let me ask you this, starting with Brian and what Melissa to weigh in too, and that is food labels is what I want to talk about. They have come a long way, and it's been years now since we've been required to put nutritional content as well as calorie, and that's been a really good thing. So let's talk about how food labels may be contributing to waste or how maybe reimagined or enhanced food labels can can help to eliminate some of it. We'll start with you on that, Brian, and then we'll hear from yeah. Melissa. Yeah, one estimate puts about 10% of the food that's wasted at home due to misinterpretation of uh, the date labels that show up on foods. In the U.S., we've done some studies that um, there's a bizarrely large number of phrases and formats for date labels across items that I think leads to confusion. And the date itself um, can also be quite confusing because the date that appears on most foods has nothing to do with safety, which I think most people think automatically, oh, that's the date after which this becomes very dangerous. That, that's the truth for uh, a very few number of items, uh, things like you know, uh, fresh meats um, and some things that don't get cooked <clears throat> before they're eaten like soft cheeses. But for the most part, particularly for processed and shelf-stable items, the date is typically kind of seen as a, a, as a peak quality date, and it's perfectly safe to eat after that date, but perhaps the quality will diminish somewhat in terms of taste. So we've recommended on several different uh, forums that uh, the U.S. have a uniform date labeling system um, that would help uh, consumers learn about those dates and be able to use items up uh, in a safe uh, and effective way. Indeed. And Melissa, talk to us though about how some of the other items on food labels might either contribute to waste or perhaps be used to help waste. Well, you know, I, I agree with what Brian just said, and I, I'm, I'm really hoping that some of these policy changes come into place to help standardize the labels. But I think 
I think that with all the focus on labels, we look past maybe the root of the issue is like if people didn't overbuy so much, if people had better home inventory management, the labels wouldn't be that big of a deal. So I think we really, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm all for those policy changes, but I think we need to put the focus on where the real problem is, which is that people buy too much food and they don't keep track of the food that they've already bought. And so if we only bought what we needed, we wouldn't have to worry about date labels that were like weeks or months, you know, uh, in the future. So um, I think we need to really put the focus on where the root of the problem lies. What about most foods have on the label somewhere serving sizes? Right. I find those to be truly interesting, especially when counting calories. Right. They can be misleading, confusing, and many times they can have no basis in reality. Well, the nutrition facts label was recently updated and the portion sizes um, or the serving sizes on there were changed to reflect what uh, the common, commonly eaten portion sizes. And it does not, is not a serving size suggestion. And so I think that's a, there's a lot of public confusion there as well. And so um, I, I agree that portion uh, portion sizes are, are are part of the problem. You know, you either um, serve yourself too much, and then you are either forced to eat past the point of fullness, which you know is associated with weight gain, or throw the food away. And so I think that's why a lot of our focus should be on limiting how much food you put on your plate. And we've seen you know modest reductions in in, in waste um, by doing even just that kind of simple change. Are you all seeing in terms of trends, what are the positive trends that you're seeing as relates to waste in general and the number one waste component food? What are the positive trends and then what are the negative trends that you're seeing? Let's start with you on that, Melissa, and then we'll hear from Brian. Well, on the positive side, I am really um, excited about um, the young people's response to this issue. There is so much interest and I think they are leading the way when it comes to things like fast fashion and, and like that, you know, those things you were mentioning earlier, but they um, are very inventive and have great ideas and are very invested on making a change in this issue. Um, and then one thing on the negative side is I personally am not a big fan of like this focus on zero waste. Because I think that, you know, when you focus on the outcome, humans are lazy. They want to game the system. They try and find the cheapest, easiest way to go through that. And then that's why I think we have this compost issue with people composting too much because we have this zero waste focus. We should focus on the process and why you have food that needs to be composted. Brian, last word. Yeah. Freezer usage and purchases went way up with COVID. And I'm very fearful that there's going to be a lot of frozen food that never gets eaten and is in there for five years before people realize they have it and need to do something with it. So that's my watchword to leave on. Indeed. Thank you so much. We are so glad that you all have been with us today to help us understand some of this. And I think probably the most enlightening issue is that people probably learn from this discussion is that the number one waste item is food that to which we are all exposed all day long, every day, and it is the most common waste item. We talk a lot and hear a lot about the plastic waste, the e-waste, and other types of waste, some of which we're going to talk about 
much more. But food, being one of our most valuable resources, is the biggie. So thank you so much for helping us understand this and making us smarter. We have been with Dr. Melissa Prescott at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and Dr. Brian Rowe at The Ohio State University. Again, thank you all so much today for taking time to be with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, audience, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your homes, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day, like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up, one way or the other, to the change we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening today, and join us again next week for more on waste and waste generation. Thank you. Thank you.